0: section 30 of the sketchbook of jeffrey crayon gentlemen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by Anna simon the sketchbook of jeffrey crayon gentlemen by washington irving john bull an old song made by an aged old plate of an old worshipful gentleman who had a great estate that kept a brave old house at a bountiful rate, and an old porter to relieve the poor at his gate, with an old study filled full of learned old books, with an old reverend chaplain you might know him by his looks, with an old buttery hatch worn quite off the hooks, and an old kitchen that maintained half a dozen old cooks, like an old courtier, etc., old song." there is no species of humour in which the english more excel than that which consists in caricaturing and giving ludicrous appellations or nicknames in this way they have whimsically designated not merely individuals but nations and in their fondness for pushing a joke they have not spared even themselves one would think that in personifying itself a nation would be apt to picture something grand heroic and imposing but it is characteristic of the peculiar humour of the english and of their love for what is blunt comic and familiar that they have embodied their national oddities in the figure of a sturdy corpulent old fellow with a three-cornered hat red waistcoat leather breeches and stout oaken cudgel thus they have taken a singular delight in exhibiting their most private foibles in a laughable point of view and have been so successful in their delineations That there is scarcely a being in actual existence more absolutely present to the public mind than that eccentric personage john bull perhaps the continual contemplation of the character thus drawn of them has contributed to fix it upon the nation and thus to give reality to what at first may have been painted in a great measure from the imagination men are apt to acquire peculiarities that are continually ascribed to them the common orders of english seem wonderfully captivated with the beau ideal which they have formed of john bull and endeavour to act up to the broad caricature that is perpetually before their eyes unluckily they sometimes make their boasted bullism an apology for their prejudice or grossness and this i have especially noticed among those truly home-bred and genuine sons of the soil who have never migrated beyond the sound of bow-bells If one of these should be a little uncouth in speech and apt to utter impertinent truths, he confesses that he is a real John Bull and always speaks his mind. If he now and then flies into an unreasonable burst of passion about trifles, he observes that John Bull is a choleric old blade, but then his passion is over in a moment and he bears no malice. If he betrays a coarseness of taste and insensibility to foreign refinements, he thanks heaven for his ignorance he is a plain john bull and has no relish for frippery and knick-knacks his very proneness to be gulled by strangers and to pay extravagantly for absurdities is excused under the plea of munificence for john is always more generous than wise thus under the name of john bull he will contrive to argue every fault into a merit and will frankly convict himself of being the honestest fellow in existence however little therefore the character may have suited in the first instance it has gradually adapted itself to the nation or rather they have adapted themselves to each other and a stranger who wishes to study english peculiarities may gather much valuable information from the innumerable portraits of john bull as exhibited in the windows of the caricature shops still however he is one of those fertile humorists that are continually throwing out new portraits and presenting different aspects from different points of view and often as he has been described i cannot resist the temptation to give a slight sketch of him such as he has met my eye john bull to all appearance is a plain downright matter-of-fact fellow with much less of poetry about him than rich prose There is little of romance in his nature, but a vast deal of strong natural feeling. He excels in humour more than in wit, is jolly rather than gay, melancholy rather than morose, can easily be moved to a sudden tear or surprised into a broad laugh, but he loathes sentiment and has no turn for light pleasantry. He is a boon companion, if you allow him in to have his humour and to talk about himself, and he will stand by a friend in a quarrel with life and purse however soundly he may be cudgelled in this last respect to tell the truth he has a propensity to be somewhat too ready he is a busy-minded personage who thinks not merely for himself and family but for all the country around and is most generously disposed to be everybody's champion he is continually volunteering his services to settle his neighbour's affairs and takes it in great dudgeon if they engage in any matter of consequence without asking his advice though he seldom engages in any friendly office of the kind without finishing by getting into a squabble with all parties and then railing bitterly at their ingratitude he unluckily took lessons in his youth in the noble science of defence and having accomplished himself in the use of his limbs and his weapons and become a perfect master at boxing and cudgel play he has had a troublesome life of it ever since he cannot hear of a quarrel between the most distant of his neighbors but he begins incontinently to fumble with the head of his cudgel and consider whether his interest or honor does not require that he should meddle in the broil indeed he has extended his relations of pride and policy so completely over the whole country that no event can take place without infringing some of his finely spun rights and dignities couched in his little domain with these filaments stretching forth in every direction he is like some choleric bottle-bellied old spider who has woven his web over a whole chamber so that a fly cannot buzz nor a breeze blow without startling his repose and causing him to sally forth wrathfully from his den though really a good-hearted good-tempered old fellow at bottom yet he is singularly fond of being in the midst of contention it is one of his peculiarities however that he only relishes the beginning of an affray He always goes into a fight with alacrity, but comes out of it grumbling even when victorious, and though no one fights with more obstinacy to carry a contested point, yet when the battle is over and he comes to the reconciliation he is so much taken up with the mere shaking of hands that he is apt to let his antagonist pocket all that they have been quarrelling about. It is not, therefore, fighting that he ought so much to be on his guard against as making friends. It is difficult to cudgel him out of a farthing, but put him in a good humour and you may bargain him out of all the money in his pocket. He is like a stout ship which will weather the roughest storm uninjured, but roll its masts overboard in the succeeding calm. He is a little fond of playing the Magnifico abroad, of pulling out a long purse, flinging his money bravely about at boxing matches, horse races, cock fights, and carrying a high head among gentleman of the fancy, but immediately after one of these fits of extravagance he will be taken with violent qualms of economy, stop short at the most trivial expenditure, talk desperately of being ruined and brought upon the parish, and in such moods will not pay the smallest tradesman's bill without violent altercation. He is, in fact, the most punctual and discontented paymaster in the world, drawing his coin out of his breeches pocket with infinite reluctance paying to the uttermost farthing but accompanying every guinea with a growl with all his talk of economy however he is a bountiful provider and a hospitable housekeeper his economy is of a whimsical kind its chief object being to devise how he may afford to be extravagant for he will begrudge himself a beefsteak and a pint of port one day that he may roast an ox-hole Roach a hogshead of ale, and treat all his neighbors on the next. His domestic establishment is enormously expensive, not so much from any great outward parade as from the great consumption of solid beef and pudding, the vast number of followers he feeds and clothes, and his singular disposition to pay hugely for small services. He is a most kind and indulgent master, and, provided his servants humor his peculiarities, Flatter his vanity a little now and then, and do not peculate grossly on him before his face, they may manage him to perfection. Everything that lives on him seems to thrive and grow fat. His house servants are well paid and pampered and have little to do. His horses are sleek and lazy and prance slowly before his state carriage, and his house dogs sleep quietly about the door and will hardly bark at a housebreaker his family mansion is an old castellated manor-house gray with age and of a most venerable though weather-beaten appearance it has been built upon no regular plan but is a vast accumulation of parts erected in various tastes and ages the centre bears evident traces of saxon architecture and is as solid as ponderous stone and old english oak can make it like all the relics of that style it is full of obscure passages intricate mazes and dusty chambers and though these have been partially lighted up in modern days yet there are many places where you must still grope in the dark additions have been made to the original edifice from time to time and great alterations have taken place towers and battlements have been erected during wars and tumults wings built in time of peace and outhouses, lodges, and offices run up according to the whim or convenience of different generations, until it has become one of the most spacious, rambling tenements imaginable. An entire wing is taken up with the family chapel, a reverend pile that must have been exceedingly sumptuous, and indeed, in spite of having been altered and simplified at various periods, has still a look of solemn religious pomp its walls within are storied with the monuments of john's ancestors and it is snugly fitted up with soft cushions and well-lined chairs where such of his family as are inclined to church services may doze comfortably in the discharge of their duties to keep up this chapel has cost john much money but he is staunch in his religion and piqued in his zeal from the circumstance that many dissenting chapels have been erected in his vicinity and several of his neighbors with whom he has had quarrels are strong papists to do the duties of the chapel he maintains at a large expense a pious and portly family chaplain he is a most learned and decorous personage and a truly well-bred christian who always backs the old gentleman in his opinions winks discreetly at his little peccadilloes rebukes her children when refractory and is of great use in exhorting the tenants to read their bibles say their prayers, and, above all, to pay their rents punctually and without grumbling. The family apartments are in a very antiquated taste, somewhat heavy and often inconvenient, but full of the solemn magnificence of former times, fitted up with rich though faded tapestry, unwieldy furniture, and loads of massy, gorgeous old plate. The vast fireplaces Ample kitchens, extensive cellars, and sumptuous banqueting halls, all speak of the roaring hospitality of days of yore, of which the modern festivity at the manor-house is but a shadow. There are, however, complete suites of rooms, apparently deserted and time-worn, and towers and turrets that are tottering to decay, so that in high winds there is danger of their tumbling about the years of the household john has frequently been advised to have the old edifice thoroughly overhauled and to have some of the useless parts pulled down and the others strengthened with their materials but the old gentleman always grows testy on this subject he swears the house is an excellent house that it is tight and weather proof and not to be shaken by tempests that it has stood for several hundred years and therefore is not likely to tumble down now that as to its being inconvenient His family is accustomed to the inconveniences and would not be comfortable without them that as to its unwieldy size and irregular construction these result from its being the growth of centuries and being improved by the wisdom of every generation that an old family like his requires a large house to dwell in new upstart families may live in modern cottages and snug boxes but an old english family should inhabit an old english manor house If you point out any part of the building as superfluous, he insists that it is material to the strength or decoration of the rest, and the harmony of the whole, and swears that the parts are so built into each other that if you pull down one, you run the risk of having the whole about your ears. The secret of the matter is that John has a great disposition to protect and patronize. He thinks it indispensable to the dignity of an ancient and honorable family to be bounteous in its appointments. And to be eaten up by dependents, and so, partly from pride and partly from kind-heartedness, he makes it a rule always to give shelter and maintenance to his superanimated servants. The consequence is that, like many other venerable family establishments, his manner is encumbered by old retainers whom he cannot turn off, and an old style which he cannot lay down. His mansion is like a great hospital of invalids, and, with all its magnitude, is not a whit too large for its inhabitants not a nook or corner but is of use in housing some useless personage groups of veteran beefeaters gouty pensioners and retired heroes of the buttery and the larder are seen lolling about its ways crawling over its lawns dozing under its tree or sunning themselves upon the benches at its doors every office and an outhouse is garrisoned by these supernumeraries and their families for they are amazingly prolific, and when they die off are sure to leave John a legacy of hungry mouths to be provided for. A mattock cannot be struck against the most moldering tumble-down tower, but out pops, from some cranny or loophole, the grey pate of some superannuated hanger-on who has lived at John's expense all his life, and makes the most grievous outcry at their pulling down the roof from over the head of a worn-out servant of the family this is an appeal that john's honest heart never can withstand so that a man who has faithfully eaten his beef and pudding all his life is sure to be rewarded with a pipe and tankard in his old days a great part of his park also is turned into paddocks where his broken-down chargers are turned loose to graze undisturbed for the remainder of their existences a worthy example of grateful recollection which if some of his neighbours were to imitate would not be to their discredit indeed it is one of his great pleasures to point out these old steeds to his visitors to dwell on their good qualities extol their past services and boast with some little vainglory of the perilous adventures and hardy exploits through which they have carried him he is given however to indulge his veneration for family usages and family encumbrances to a whimsical extent his manner is infested by gangs of gypsies yet he will not suffer them to be driven off, because they have infested the place time out of mind and been regular poachers upon every generation of the family. He will scarcely permit a dry branch to be lopped from the great trees that surround the house, lest it should molest the rooks that have bred there for centuries. Owls have taken possession of the dovecote, but they are hereditary owls and must not be disturbed. Swallows have nearly choked up every chimney with their nests. Martins build in every frieze and corners, crows flutter about the towers and perch on every weathercock, and old grey-headed rats may be seen in every quarter of the house, running in and out of their holes undauntedly in broad daylight. In short, John has such a reverence for everything that has been long in the family that he will not hear even of abuses being reformed, because they are good old family abuses." All these whims and habits have concurred woefully to drain the old gentleman's purse, and as he prides himself on punctuality in money matters and wishes to maintain his credit in the neighborhood, they have caused him great perplexity in meeting his engagements. This, too, has been increased by the altercations and heart-burnings which are continually taking place in his family. His children have been brought up to different callings and are of different ways of thinking, and as they have always been allowed to speak their minds freely, they do not fail to exercise the privilege most clamorously in the present posture of his affairs. Some stand up for the honor of the race, and are clear that the old establishment should be kept up in all its state, whatever may be the cost. Others, who are more prudent and considerate, entreat the old gentleman to retrench his expenses, and to put his whole system of housekeeping on a more moderate footing he has indeed at times seemed inclined to listen to their opinions but their wholesome advice has been completely defeated by the obstreperous conduct of one of his sons this is a noisy rattle-pated fellow of rather low habits who neglects his business to frequent ale-houses is the orator of village clubs and a complete oracle among the poorest of his father's tenants no sooner does he hear any of his brothers mention reform or retrenchment than up he jumps takes the words out of their mouths, and roars out for an overturn. When his tongue is once going, nothing can stop it. He rants about the room, hectors the old man about his spendthrift practices, ridicules his tastes and pursuits, insists that he shall turn the old servants out of doors, give the broken-down horses to the hounds, send the fat chaplain packing, and take a field preacher in his place nay that the whole family mansion shall be levelled with the ground and a plain one of brick and mortar built in its place he rails at every social entertainment and family festivity and skulks away growling to the ale-house whenever an equipage drives up to the door though constantly complaining of the emptiness of his purse yet he scruples not to spend all his pocket-money in these tavern convocations and even runs up scores for the liquor over which he preaches about his father's extravagance it may readily be imagined how little such thwarting agrees with the old cavalier's fiery temperament he has become so irritable from repeated crossings that the mere mention of retrenchment or reform is a signal for a brawl between him and the tavern oracle as the latter is too sturdy and refractory for paternal discipline having grown out of all fear of the cudgel they have frequent scenes of wordy warfare which at times runs so high that john is fain to call in the aid of his son tom an officer who has served abroad but is at present living at home on half pay this last is sure to stand by the old gentleman right or wrong likes nothing so much as a rocketing roistering life and is ready at a wink or nod to out-sabre and flourish it over the orator's head if he dares to array himself against parental authority these family dissensions as usual have got abroad and are rare food for scandal in john's neighbourhood people begin to look wise and shake their heads whenever his affairs are mentioned they all hope that matters are not so bad with him as represented but when a man's own children begin to rail at his extravagance things must be badly managed they understand he is mortgaged over head and ears and is continually dabbling with lenders. he is certainly an open-handed old gentleman but they fear he has lived too fast. Indeed, they never knew any good come of this fondness for hunting, racing, revelling and prize-fighting. In short, Mr. Bull's estate is a very fine one and has been in the family a long while, but for all that they have known many finer estates come to the hammer. What is worst of all is the effect which these pecuniary embarrassments and domestic feuds have had on the poor man himself. Instead of that jolly round corporation and smug rosy face which he used to present, he has of late become as shriveled and shrunk as a frost-bitten apple. His scarlet gold-laced waistcoat, which bellied out so bravely in those prosperous days when he sailed before the wind, now hangs loosely about him like a mainsail in a calm. His leather breeches are all in folds and wrinkles, and apparently have much ado to hold up the boots that yawn on both sides of his once sturdy legs. Instead of strutting about as formerly, with his three-cornered head on one side, flourishing his cudgel and bringing it down every moment with a hearty thump upon the ground, looking every one sturdily in the face and trolling out a stave of, of a catch or a drinking song, he now goes about whistling thoughtfully to himself, with his head drooping down his cudgel tucked under his arm, and his hands thrust to the bottom of his breeches' pockets, which are evidently empty. Such is the plight of honest John Bull at present. Yet for all this, the old fellow's spirit is as tall and as gallant as ever. If you drop the least expression of sympathy or concern, he takes fire in an instant, swears that he is the richest and stoutest fellow in the country, talks of laying out large sums to adorn his house or buy another estate and with a valiant swagger and grasping of his cudgel, longs exceedingly to have another bout at quarterstaff. Though there may be something rather whimsical in all this, yet I confess that I cannot look upon John's situation without strong feelings of interest. With all his odd humours and obstinate prejudices, he is a sterling-hearted old blade. He may not be so wonderfully fine a fellow as he thinks himself, but he is at least twice as good as his neighbours represent him his virtues are all his own all plain home-bred and unaffected his very faults smack of the raciness of his good qualities his extravagance savors of his generosity his quarrelsomeness of his courage his credulity of his open faith his vanity of his pride and his bluntness of his sincerity they're all the redundancies of a rich and liberal character he is like his own oak rough without but sound and solid within whose bark abounds with excrescences in proportion to the growth and grandeur of the timber and whose branches make a fearful groaning and murmuring in the least storm from their very magnitude and luxuriance there is something too in the appearance of his old family mansion that is extremely poetical and picturesque and as long as it can be rendered comfortably habitable i should almost tremble to see it meddled with during the present conflict of tastes and opinions. Some of his advisers are no doubt good architects that might be of service, but many, I fear, are mere levellers who, when they had once got to work with their mattocks on this venerable edifice, would never stop until they had brought it to the ground and perhaps buried themselves among the ruins. All that I wish is that John's present troubles may teach him more prudence in future, that he may cease to distress his mind about other people's affairs, that he may give up the fruitless attempt to promote the good of his neighbors and the peace and happiness of the world by dint of the cudgel, that he may remain quietly at home, gradually get his house into repair, cultivate his rich estate according to his fancy, husband his income, if he thinks proper, bring his unruly children into order, if he can, renew the jovial scenes of ancient prosperity, and long enjoy on his paternal lands a green an honorable and a merry old age end of section 30